0: The Liz Callaway Show with Nick Summers, featuring Breitbart Talks on Talk 94.5.
1: <laughs> we have a great segment like <laughs> coming true. up now. Absolutely. And uh. Joel Pollack is joining us. He's the senior editor at large, um, and uh, he is closely following what is happening in Israel and what the IDF's latest information is. Joining us right now, Joel, good morning. Joel, Are you there? He, he was there. He said he Yes, was I'm, here. I'm here. I'm here. Sorry.
0: sorry. Um, um, I'm speaking to you from I'm speaking to you from uh just a few kilometers outside the Gaza Strip. Oh, wow. And in wow. fact, we can hear or we could hear until a few minutes ago, um some of the explosions going on as the war continues over there.
1: Yeah.
0: I'm with a group I'm with a group of volunteers. Mhm that has come out to the farmland here in the region known as the Gaza envelope and they are taking in the harvest because the communities near the Gaza strip that were attacked by Hamas on October 7th have been evacuated and the farm workers have gone back to their homes some of them are from other countries and so they've gone back to where they're from and there's nobody to take in the harvest so Every day there are hundreds of volunteers who arrive at farms in these regions to help the few staff members who remain on these farms bring in the harvest, milk the cows, and maintain equipment so that these agricultural communities don't simply die and so that the year's crop isn't lost on the vine or in the ground. So we are actually just returning from the farm where we were we were at a tomato farm, and it was the westernmost farm in Israel. So we could see the Egyptian border. We looked wow. west, and we could see the—well, uh, we couldn't see the Gaza border, but it was basically just as far away. There was a line of trees that prevented us from seeing it. But basically, we were we were hearing the explosions and, and fighter jets overhead.
1: What does that uh, feel as people like? Were. Have you ever been in that situation before, Joel, where you can hear that firsthand?
0: Uh, a couple of weeks ago when I was in the town of Sterod, which is on the other end of the Gaza Strip, it's it's north of here, it's the closest Israel- large Israeli city to the Gaza Strip, uh, I stood with the journalist on a little hill that overlooks Gaza. If you've watched any kind of live shots of Gaza during the war, mm-hmm. chances are the journalist was speaking to a camera set up there. It's safe enough that people do these live shots there all the time. And you can actually see much of northern Gaza, Gaza City from there. And when I stood there a couple weeks ago, we saw the airstrikes on the buildings and so forth. So That was the last time I had an experience like this. But this is an active war, mm-hmm. and we had to study maps before we left so that we didn't accidentally wander into the military zone because the Israeli military has taken over uh, the the land that's in closest proximity to the Gaza Strip itself. But this farmland is about as close as you can get Mm -hmm. to what's happening in Gaza.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I just have experience and knowledge of uh, even just something as simple as the LL Airlines in JFK. They don't recognize anybody other than their own uniformed military or, you know, law enforcement. So anybody is like an enemy pretty much. So you have to be careful about that, right?
0: Well, the situation with El Al is that there have been ticket counters that have been attacked before. Mm-hmm. About 30 years ago, I think, yeah. there was a terror attack on the El Al ticket counter in Los Angeles. So there is heavy security around El Al mm-hmm. ticket counters for that reason. But look, this is the reality of life here right now. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting and inspiring is that Israelis are coming together and helping out. There are people who have left their jobs or taken a day off their jobs to come down and help farm. And these are people, in many cases, with high-tech careers and skills in other areas, people have government jobs, and they take a day off, and they come and help. And that's just one of the many ways that Israelis are helping each other. There was a study a couple weeks ago it said more than 40% of Israelis had volunteered since the start of the war. Think about that. What would it mean if 40% of Americans wow. volunteered on a project? You know, talking about a country of more than 300 million people, can you imagine mm-hmm. what yeah. would that be, 120 million volunteers? I mean, it, you know, that's the scale of the effort.
1: We're speaking with Joel Pollack um, with Breitbart. I-, I wanted to ask you uh, about the latest you know about where they're at with the Israeli Defense Forces. Um, We hear that they're continuing to destroy Hamas. I was reading your article from a couple of days ago um, talking about seizing the governor's mansion, which includes a terrorist organization's military and intelligence headquarters. We're hearing a lot about the hospital situation in Gaza. Um, What is the latest and clearest information you can give us?
0: Well, The biggest untold story of the war so far is the success of the Israel Defense Forces as they are going into Gaza and they are defeating Hamas terrorists in every encounter. And they have begun to dismantle Hamas's infrastructure there. As you mentioned, they've taken over Hamas administrative buildings. And right now, they are in Shifa Hospital, which is a large hospital in Gaza City. The reason they're there is that it's been known for a long time that Hamas uses the hospital for military purposes. They hide their leaders in the basement. Amnesty International did a report nine years ago about how Hamas was using the hospital to torture political dissidents. So it's an important military base, and the Israeli military is going through it very carefully. They're not dropping bombs on the hospital. They're not firing at the hospital, but they're in the hospital, and they've brought medical teams with them They've brought Arabic translators with them. They're trying to do as little as possible in terms of disrupting the necessary services of the hospital. They have evacuated those patients who can leave. There are some patients who can't leave, such as newborn infants in Mm -hmm. intensive uh, neonatal care. So they've brought incubators for those babies, and they're going through the hospital and trying to discover the tunnels, the underground headquarters, and... They're hoping to find some hostages there. They, they they already found evidence that hostages were held at another hospital, a children's hospital called Rantisi Hospital. Um, but, you know, these things happen, and we usually find out what happened about a day or two later. So I don't know exactly what's happening right now, but the latest information we have is that there, there are some fights happening within one part of the hospital complex between Israel and Hamas, and they've already recovered some weapons, which is just one element of proof that Hamas is using the hospital for military purposes, but we're still waiting to hear more. We may not know more until a day or two after it happened.
1: Mm -hmm. Joel, I wanted to uh, ask you if you've had a chance to look at what's going on here back at the States. We know we had a a march for Israel yesterday, 290,000 people, a record-breaking crowd. But um, one of the uh, side stories I saw was that the bus driver uh, company, the bus drivers for a company, walked off the job because they didn't want to take pro-Israel rally-goers to D.C. I mean, they refused to—I saw a Massachusetts town flying a Palestinian flag underneath their American and state flag. I mean, just things like this that have been going on, um, you know, and a lot of online hatred from their, what some are claiming to be AI and false information just to stoke more anti-Semitism um, here and around the world. So what what are you— hearing about that at all?
0: Well, the turnout at the rally was very good. I think they had a permit that said they expected 100,000 people, so to get 300,000 is really incredible. It's three times more than they expected, and it is the largest pro-Israel demonstration in the United States history. I would would have said that it's the largest pro-Israel demonstration of any kind, although I think there have been larger demonstrations inside Israel So if you include the ones inside Israel, those are larger. But, Mm -hmm. but, um, you know, 300,000 people is a lot, and it it really, I think, gives encouragement to the Jewish community, certainly to Israelis, to know that there are so many people who support them in the United States. And by the way, that feeling is mutual. There's a very warm feeling in Israel toward the United States at the moment for all the help that Israel has been receiving from America. So it's just a fantastic event, and I I did hear about the walk-off I think it affected a group of chartered flights from Detroit. That is, the Detroit Jewish community had chartered several planes to come to the rally. And when they arrived at the airport, the bus drivers refused to drive them from Dulles, I think it was, to Mm -hmm. the National Mall. And that may be grounds for a lawsuit. Um, That might be a violation of uh, discrimination laws. But while there are some disappointed people who were stranded on the tarmac and did not get to the rally, in some ways, maybe they had the most valuable experience of all, because this rally was a demonstration against anti-Semitism, as well as a demonstration for Israel. Mm -hmm. And to experience anti-Semitism in that very direct way, literally being stranded on a tarmac for three hours or more, because the bus drivers don't want to take Jews to Washington. I think that shows how important the rally is and was. How important it is to see Americans standing up against that kind of thing. So I think the people, unfortunately, obviously, it's not nice to sit on the, on the tarmac for a long time, but they had a real experience. They, they experienced exactly what the problem is about. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, they, you know, you fe- you face this this hatred that you know that you don't even know these people and they just hate you. You know, I mean that that's like you you just shake your head. I was looking at um and they are a little funny the Israeli comedians that are mocking BBC. Uh, with these, uh, you know, these kind of S- S- SNL uh, type of skits, um, mocking them for their pro-Palestinian, anti-Israeli bias. What do you uh, make of that? Because, uh, you know, we do hear a lot of talk like that, even on MSNBC, you know, very pro-Palestinian.
0: Right. Well, the BBC is particularly bad. In fact, I think they apologized today. For a report in which they said that Israel had targeted a hospital in an attack, and Israel had had not fired at a hospital.
1: Wow. It's
0: not the first time they've had to apologize or correct their coverage since the war started. There is a deeply ingrained prejudice in British elite society that dates back to the mid-20th century, when Britain governed this area under the British mandate, and the British excluded Jewish immigration. They would not allow Jews to immigrate this area because the Palestinian Arab leadership didn't want Jews to come here, and the British were worried that the Arab world would side with Hitler in the Second World War, so they appeased the local leadership by cutting off Jewish immigration, which meant that a lot of Jews could not leave Europe, and there were other countries as well that didn't allow Jews to leave. The United States did not allow many Jews to leave, some, but but not, not most, and it didn't keep the Arab world out of the war anyway. The local Palestinian leader, a guy named Pajamin al-Husseini, uh, actually worked with Hitler in Berlin. So it was actually a failed policy, but um, the, the uh, feeling in the British Foreign Service at the time was uh, that they, they didn't really like, even though that Britain had sort of guaranteed the right of Jews to build a state in the Balfour Declaration of 1917, the British Foreign Service was very pro-Arab in its orientation. They tended to romanticize uh, the Arab world to some extent. They had tried to appease it without success. And there's still a bit of that element in British high society. So I think the BBC is reflecting those sort of elite prejudices.
1: You know, Joel, one of the most horrific things, and I I choose, I know they're out there, but I'm not looking to see any of these videos. But one of the most um, horrific things, because we all know how vivid the mind can be, was reading your article um, that you wrote about how journalists are frustrated at the lack of detail about the sexual crimes on October 7th. Oh, my goodness. I thought we thought we lost him. I think we did. But remember, he's just a couple of kilometers, he says, outside of Gaza Strip. We'll see if he calls back. Yeah, but um, I read this article uh, and it was uh, started like this. Tensions erupted at a press conference at the Israel Police Academy last week when journalists demanded more evidence than officials were willing to divulge about sexual crimes committed during the October 7th Hamas terror attack. And the briefing had been billed in advance as a revelation of additional details to the investigations, but but very few were provided. And it says here, um, they played a graphic video similar to the raw footage that they had been able to screen last month. Um, there were additional disturbing scenes of terrorists shooting their victims and celebrating at the site of rooms filled with bodies and blood. Um, and none of the journalists were allowed to bring in their smart f- phones or film or take photographs of anything that they were seeing. But... I was reading on in the article and I just, I, I'm just horrified, like beyond, like just things that you just can't even imagine happening was told by witnesses and that there, and there's footage of this and images of this that were not included. And Joel wrote about it and it is so sickening like my brain is just seized um i can't really did he in that article i'm just asking recount the rape videos that were also yes it... that's what that's what this yeah. article is about the whole article is about that. okay uh, yeah. so people were talking about how these these um uh, videos of, that would the video evidence of these rapes were were not being shown. So Joel, are you there?
0: Yes. Okay. I'm back. We we we, we lost reception here. So okay. we're good
1: now. Uh just needed to I just wanted to ask you one more question about one of these um articles you wrote about the uh press conference that erupted in uh, when people were uh, journalists were upset that they weren't seeing the evidence they needed okay. for the sexual crimes, the rapes. What was that about exactly and are there is there video and and uh images of you know the evidence that people keep saying that doesn't exist?
0: Well, we don't know what evidence the police have because they're not telling us yet. Mm-hmm. They are putting criminal cases together. What they did tell us is that there are multiple eyewitnesses to rape during the October seventh attacks uh it, It's almost certain that there were rapes. The only question is whether it was part of a plan to use rape as a weapon, or whether it was simply evil people taking advantage of a chaotic situation. Mm-hmm. For example, we know that many Palestinian civilians crossed the border and looted the Israeli communities, even while the Israeli communities were still being attacked. Oh. They weren't necessarily members of Hamas, but um, they they participated in it, went There was no one to stop them from doing so. So the story with rapes may have been the same. But journalists wanted to know, and the police convened a press conference, and they told us they were going to release additional details. We did get one or two extra details about the rapes, but we did not get anything comprehensive. And part of that is just because they're putting together a criminal case. They're going to have the largest criminal case in Israel's history. They're going to Mm -hmm. prosecute the hundreds of Hamas terrorists they've arrested so far. So. It's funny i'm I'm speaking to you as a plane is riding in above us uh, It's a crop duster oh. that is still tending to these fields, so the Israelis haven't given up on these fields. they've had to move the communities away during the war. But the reason we're here is because there's an army of volunteers that is making sure that these farms are not forgotten and that, that the crop is not
1: abandoned, yeah. Well that gives you certain uh hope for the future and to returning uh back to normal life. Uh I don't know how long that will take, but I mean it I it, it must feel good to be part of something that is uh you know so positive and 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 healing, you know? So that's that's amazing, Joel.
0: It is amazing. It's inspiring to see people come together and do whatever they can mm-hmm. and people feel that there's a new sense of unity in the country that wasn't there before. And I think as Americans, it's something we can learn
1: from. Yeah. Well, we definitely went through that through nine 11, but I don't know what happened after that. I don't even recognize some parts of this country or my New York, the way it was. I don't know what happened. So Joel, I want, I want to thank you um, so much for, for, uh, you know, doing this and, um, you know, uh, just uh, praying for you that you stay protected And uh, along with all of your uh, volunteers there and, you know, it's just uh, worry about it. But, you know, I know, you know, you're doing the right thing and being smart about it and all that. But it is uh, unnerving to know that you're right there.
0: Thank you, Joel, and stay safe. Thank you. And thanks for the opportunity.
1: All right. Thank you.